So yeah, I feel like welcoming everyone again. Yeah, got some of the work retreatants here and the coordinators here joining us and uh, all of us been here together a few days. And just a welcome and an acknowledgement of uh, the practice that's happening here. And sometimes at this point in the retreat where we're quite deeply in, um, there can be moments of ease and beauty and joy and happiness and creativity, um, but there can also be times of some intensity and just really wanting to acknowledge that. Uh, for some of us, some of the time, it's, it's not easy. And we can just kind of include that in the kind of uh, landscape of our journey together, both individually and knowing that for ourselves. And also knowing that about each other. And sometimes just knowing that kind of makes a difference. Yeah. And we can maybe kind of, it can maybe nourish an extra layer of care, um, how, we are, how we are with ourselves and then how we are with each other. And also perhaps an ap appreciation and knowing that just by being here, we're supporting uh, others yeah. on, their, on their path, on their journey. So over the days together, we've been, we've been exploring, we've been uh, investigating yeah. dukkha and its conditions. Yeah. What conditions dukkha? And what happens when those conditions um, kind of lessen or weaken or dissolve? We've also been exploring how the way we relate to an experience shapes it. Yeah. And that's a conditioning factor. And how that way of relating yeah. can take us beyond um, our personal preferences. Yeah. Beyond our personal preferences. Um, can take us beyond that uh, delineation that uh, rules <laughs> determine so much of our life, that delineation between pleasant and unpleasant, and in brackets, for me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually always there as a whisper. Uh, and we can add for me at this time <laughs> in this situation, because that also changes. So what does it, I, I want to say a little bit more about that. Yeah. And so when we reflect on our experience, yeah, we can see yeah, that um, unpleasant doesn't have to lead to dukkha, to suffering. Yeah. Typically, yeah, as human beings, that's the way we see it. Unpleasant, dukkha. Yeah. But when we look at our experience, and I'll give some examples in a moment, we might see it doesn't have to. Yeah. It doesn't have to. 
pleasant doesn't necessarily lead to happiness and well-being. This is also interesting, right? And let's just check. Are we in agreement about this? (laughs) Great. So, yeah. Unpleasant doesn't necessarily lead to dukkha. Pleasant doesn't necessarily lead to happiness and well-being. It's really in the way of relating. Yeah. Really depends on the way of relating. So, you know, something pleasant may arise in our experience. And if we start kind of really wanting it to stay, (laughs) yeah, and and I'm doing this with my hand because there's a, a, a wanting it to stay, which is, you know, I really I really want it to stay, and I'm open and receptive, yeah, and there's spaciousness there. But there's a wanting it to stay, which is a this, yeah, wanting it to stay, yeah. And very quickly, if we pay attention to that process, we'll start feeling ah, oh, there's dukkha here, yeah, in that clenching, in that holding on. Just like we've been saying today, the dukkha in the contraction. Yeah, we can really feel it. Yeah, in the body, in the mental attitude. Yeah, in the space of awareness. And that's around something pleasant. Something can be unpleasant. Yeah. Something can be unpleasant. Um, and yet, if we're relating to it, yeah, with compassion, with um, interest with curiosity, there can be well-being in there. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. Or if that unpleasantness is in alignment with something that's more important to us. Yeah. So there can be well-being. I mean, just I was going to give you an example that, yeah, I didn't want to give, and one another one just popped up in my head. Last week we were um, facilitating a tree planting retreat. And so my feet were getting so cold. <laughs> two, layer, two, two, thick, um, two pairs of thick wool socks. And still my feet were getting really cold. Yeah. Really cold. Unpleasant. Yeah. And yet so much well-being. Yeah, because it's in alignment with something bigger. I want to be out there you know, looking after these tiny little trees. You know, these wondrous beings, you know, so small. Yeah. I want to be doing that. So the unpleasantness is just part of that package and we can see that. Yeah. So unpleasant doesn't necessarily mean um, dukkha. And uh, we know so, you know so many examples of that. Yeah, if you do any form of exercise... <laughs> Right? There's unpleasant that we can identify unpleasant sensations if we run or do yoga or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, there's unpleasantness as part of the package, but there's well being. So, really, um, really helpful to, to remind ourselves of that and to see that. You know, it's in the way of relating. It's what, how we're relating to the, to the thing. If there's interest, if there's curiosity, if there's an alignment with aspiration, intention, uh, a wish for our own well-being. Yeah. And it's a, it's a different story. And importantly, this is true in the moment 
Yeah, this can be true in the moment and this can also be true over time. Yeah. So the well-being can also be something that we're building over time for ourselves. Yeah. So by um, kind of exploring, bringing interest, curiosity, say, to the unpleasant, yeah. I'm kind of cultivating something that will bring more well-being over time yeah. instead of just staying um, limited by that habit of rejection and aversion. Yeah, conditioned habit response that we have as human beings. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. And so we're also, of course, cultivating more pliability, more flexibility, uh, more capacity to respond. Yeah. For the mind to respond, for the heart to respond, not just to react. Yeah. So that shift from reactivity to responsiveness. Something that we're cultivating. And so we've started to use this word fabrication, particularly over the last couple of days. And and Nathan talking about it yesterday, you know, that that sense fabrication made up, put together, conditioned, for many, many conditions. And so we can see that it's not just that phenomena, pleasant or unpleasant, that's determining the dukkha or the adukkha, the opposite of dukkha, of the experience. Yeah? There's a whole world of fabrication happening. There's a whole network of conditions that are coming together. Yeah? And they're happening, a lot of them are happening right here, yeah? in the body, heart and mind. Constructing, conditioning, fabricating um, our experience. So I recently came across really interesting uh, research around this, uh, which I just want to kind of touch on and hopefully it will support us in continuing to um, navigate this exploration tonight. And this is some research done by Richard Davidson. Some of you may have heard of him. Um, Mind Life Institute student and co-conspirator of the Dalai Lama. and so this is, the, this, is what they, this is what they did in this research. They had a, a group of meditators and they had uh, a group of non-meditators and they were um, balanced as far as their kind of um, demographic data, age, um, gender, all of that. And um, these people meditators and non-meditators alike, (laughs) were put into an MRI machine. And their brains were being imaged, as happens. I think it was an MRI, some kind of brain imaging thing. And um, they were told, before they went in, they um, were told you'd hear one of two sounds while you're in there. If this sound goes off at a certain pitch, Uh, that means that you will get a stimulus, and they were given an example of it, that will be painful. If this sound goes off, then there will be no painful stimulus. So they knew in advance, they were told, this is what's going to happen, this sound, pain, this sound, no pain. And they were, you know, went in and their brains were being uh, imaged. 
So the interesting thing that they saw was when the stimulus was actually happening, when there's a painful stimulus, the imaging of the brains of the meditators and the non-meditators, and I have to say these are meditators with quite a lot of experience, <laughs> looked the same. Yeah, there was the same response in the pain areas to the pain. The interesting thing was that the non-meditators, when the sound associated with the pain happened, immediately the brain lit up in the pain areas. So they were already experiencing the pain before the stimulus actually happened. Okay? And the meditators, no, just when it happened. The other interesting thing is, once the stimulus stopped, you know, it's just a flash and it stops, meditators, <laughs> pain response in the brain stops. Non-meditators, it carries on for quite some time. Yeah. So, I find this really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I find this really interesting. Um, because the difference is not in the experience of of pain or unpleasantness, yeah, that, that the pain is pain <laughs> and the brain is showing it and they're reporting, yeah, that was painful. Yeah. But the length of the painful experience, yeah, how long, and if you've ever been in pain, which we all have, we know how long it lasts for is really significant, right? Really significant. Yeah. And so how long it lasts for and the fact that um, the, the, the brain can trigger the pain <laughs> yeah, from the sound rather than from the painful stimulation itself. Yeah. So c there can be an experience of pain even when there's no stimulation of pain. Pretty interesting, no? Yeah. So the way of relating, yeah, again, the way of relating uh, is really key here. And... Um, in the in the documentary where they were talking about this um, this particular research, uh, Richard Davidson was saying, you know, what this shows is that well-being is a skill that we can nurture and develop. Yeah, very similar to you know the Dalai Lama who says, you know, happiness is is a skill, something that we can learn. So what a powerful training <laughs> is that we're doing here. Yeah. I think to really also take that into account, we may feel like ah, we're just you know baby steps, yeah, we're just baby steps. We're you know we're you know we're we're actually kind of able to be with the object of our practice for just maybe a few seconds <laughs> in the day, yeah, and yet that's part of that you know drop by drop that we were speaking of yesterday that the Buddha was talking about. You know, every moment, every split second that we're training our mind in skillful ways of relating, yeah, that's, that's a big shift. Yeah, it's a big shift. It's a really kind of, yeah, opening feeling. Yeah, we're doing something, you know, worthwhile here. All the things that we're kind of cultivating, you know, that agency around and kind of speaking with you, you know, over the day and today, you know, by day three, you know, sometimes we're saying things like, oh yeah, and I, I just, you know, 
brought that memory of the really pleasant thing and things were okay, you know, and that's pretty cool <laughs> you know, that we can do that. Yeah? So we're training um, the mind, we're getting agency in where we place attention. Yeah. And where we place attention, what we bring attention to, yeah, it's not completely just random, according to the habits. And even again, we do it just for a moment. That's a moment more than we were doing it before. That's a huge shift. We're getting more skilled in sustaining attention. Yeah, we're getting more skilled in kind of where we place attention and in the capacity to sustain it with something yeah, of our own choice. And we're also, like those meditators, getting more skilled in the capacity to let go. Yeah? That thing about pain, no pain, recognizing <laughs> pain's gone, I can let go. Because yeah? I don't know if you know this about our bodies, but when there's pain, the body clenches around the pain, that's part of the contraction. That comes with dukkha. Yeah? There's a lot of research around that, quite old already. Quite, um, yeah. And so that letting go, that capacity to soften, to let go, to open, to stop clenching, yeah? really key. And we're learning to do that yeah? as we let go of you know, the so-called distractions, hindrances. Yeah. And I'm really tempted to say, <laughs> as we're wiping those thoughts out of existence. <laughs> yeah. All of that, these, these are all forms of letting go. Yeah. Letting go that we're bringing in. And so all of these, yeah, ways to attend to our experience, ways to relate to our experience. There's always a way of relating. Yeah. And it leads to you know, one of two <laughs> destinations, well-being or ill-being. Yeah. So what determines where we head? Yeah? What determines that trajectory towards ill-being or well-being or maybe determines is, is strong language? How is that conditioned? Yeah, what leads to it, what supports it. So as we've been saying, you know, the way to dukkha. Yeah. Dukkha arises with contraction. Yeah. It arises with tension. It arises with a stronger and louder sense of me and for me. Yeah. Um, it arises with a more limited sense of self, yeah, more dense. These are ways we can recognize it. It rises with more demand. Yeah, that's the for me. Yeah, more demand. And the opposite of dukkha, well-being, adukkha. Yeah. That arises with spaciousness, with expansiveness, with um, openness, with a sense of self that's more diffuse. Yeah more expansive, more wide, more inclusive. Yeah? It can include the agitated mind. Yeah? It can include uh, our pettiness. Yeah? It can include others. 
So when, there's, uh, when we reflect on the conditions for well-being, yeah. less picking and choosing, yeah. less um, <coughs> self-referencing, yeah, that for me, for me, and less demand. And so this, you know, the Buddha was so good at giving us maps and drawing us maps of, of how, uh, how dukkha is conditioned and how, um, therefore, when we understand that, we can understand how well-being is conditioned. And so when we look at any experience of dukkha, yeah, this is a map and okay, I'm going to share, <laughs> we can see Ah, there was a phenomena, there was an object, something happened, internally or externally. And then there was contact yeah, between that phenomena, that object, and the heart-mind. That contact arises with what we call Vedana. I've just been referring to it as pleasant and unpleasant here. Yeah, that sense of this is pleasant, this is unpleasant or it's too vague to know <laughs> which one it is, it's uneventful. Yeah. That Vedana, that pleasant, unpleasant, escalates, yeah, because we forget, you know, the starting point of this talk, we forget that the dukkha and the well-being are not in the pleasant, unpleasant, we think they are. So there's an escalation. Yeah. Craving arises, yeah, demand, thirst, yeah, with clinging. We start to push and pull on experience. Yeah, we pull towards us the things that are pleasant and that we want. We push away the things that we don't want and we reject. Yeah. And that gives birth to identification, right? You can see how the sense of self gets born there. Yeah, through that. From the pleasant, unpleasant. Unpleasant to me. Pleasant to me. I must cling. I must crave. I must grasp. I must resist. Yeah, and that builds up more and more. And that is what leads to dukkha. Those are, that's the map to dukkha. Yeah. With that, dukkha uh, arises. So, I'll, I just want to pause here with an example, because it's, it's really helpful to break this down, to see this um, with a particular uh, example. So yeah, one that just happened just before the talk. So 10 minutes to 7, um, I was trying to move the talk from my laptop to the iPad. Yeah, actually, no, I'm much more organized that than that. It was 20 to 7. <laughs> and they weren't communicating with each other. Let's not go uh, into the technicalities. The tech guru was not in the house. Uh, so here I am. Me, my laptop, my iPad, and uh, there's the there's the there's the um, phenomena, right? Things are not, you know, there's no there's no talk on the iPad, yeah. and there's contact with, yeah, there's contact with the heart and mind, yeah. and the Vedana is unpleasant. That's not what I want. Yeah. What do you mean? Your devices. You're meant to do what you're told. Yeah. Yeah. And then the craving and clinging can start building up, right? 
I have to get this on the iPad. Yeah. I need to get this on the iPad. Yeah, it has to be on the iPad. How am I going to give I? How am I going to give a talk if it's not on the iPad? Right. So we can see the build-up, right? From the just unpleasant, things are not happening in the way I expect them to, right? Then the build-up, the craving and the clinging. It has to be this way. And it's really interesting. I don't know if you've ever been in a similar situation. The world narrows, right? That's, it has to be this way. Yeah, very narrow. Things have to work out for me. Yeah. And they have to work out in this way. Yeah, in this way. So, yeah, you can see it all happening. Yeah, see it all happening. The sense of self gets bigger. And, of course, with it, dukkha yeah, can arise. Is that a clear example? Yeah. Yeah. Um, eventually, the tech guru did arrive. He did manage to... I know that you, this is the cliffhanger and you really <laughs> want to know what happened. <laughs> he did manage to move, move them across. But he also said to me, you know... Last time I was here, I did, you know, same thing happened to me, and I just gave the, ta- the talk from the laptop. <laughs> you know, so the world becomes so limited <laughs> that that isn't an option. Yeah, it's not an option. Very, it's really amusing. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're getting a laugh out of it as well. Yeah. Because we just don't see, and, and, and there's the dukkha. So even in, the, in, in that experience itself, when it's not stress, I'm just like, okay, so I'll, you know, I'll give a talk off the top of my head, or not with complete notes, or whatever. You know. But still, the whole vision is, is really limited, because that really takes hold. And the same thing, you know, unpleasant sound, unpleasant sensation. Yeah. Or pleasant. Yeah, it can also happen with the opposite. Yeah. So we may be uh, sitting in meditation and actually things are very nice and they're calm. Yeah. And we notice that. And that's, that's pleasant Vedana, right? Oh, that's nice. Ah, finally, this is what I came for. <laughs> it's here. Isn't that wonderful? This is really nice. And they said I could enjoy it. Yeah. I'm really going to enjoy it. Really nice. Then the voice creeps in. Oh, I hope it lasts. <laughs> I better not move at all so it doesn't go away. <sighs> I shouldn't breathe. <laughs> this has happened to me. You get really rigid. But the build-up, yeah, the build-up yeah, of the, from the pleasant, yeah, and it goes either to, okay, this is the sit where I'm going to get enlightened, to, um, you know, to really just trying to hold on, grasp on. And then, of course, the more we grasp, yeah, the quicker it disappears. Right? So we see that leading to dukkha, the escalation, the build-up. So such a helpful map. Yeah. The object, the phenomena, the contact, the Vedana, cra- craving and clinging. The becoming, the birth of the self, leading to dukkha. And we can see the more clinging and craving there is, the more escalation there is, yeah? The both which clinging and craving include the rejection, they include the pushing away. Uh, The more demand there is, the more dukkha there will be, yeah? 
and it's something that is meaningful for us to see again and again. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I saw it, why haven't I gotten it yet? <laughs> yeah. How come I'm entangled in this again? Yeah. Because we need to see it again and again. That insight needs to go more and more deep into our being, into ourselves, to understand. And the less clinging and craving, the less demand yeah, there is, the less for me there is, the more well-being yeah, there will be. Yeah. Very interesting relationship. So we have the map, we have this process um, in the teachings. This is part of what is called the um, links of dependent origination. I'm just saying it. You don't need to remember. It's just a reference. The interesting thing about it is that each of these links is a gateway. Yeah? We can step in at any point. Yeah? We can travel back <laughs> to previous links if they're more accessible to us. We can step in at any point and interrupt that process of the building up of dukkha. Yeah. Step in at any point. It's about remembering. Yeah. It's about remembering. And this is very much, again, something we're cultivating in our practice. Yeah. The capacity to recognize, ah, there's dukkha being built up here. Yeah. And to, uh, to recognize and to just slow it down or interrupt it completely, cut it. So when we allow, yeah, or when we tune in uh, to what is pleasant or going well, yeah, or what is gladdening the heart, yeah, when we're uh, relaxing the contraction like we were doing today, yeah, all of these decrease, yeah, dissolve, reduce dukkha through interrupting that chain, through interrupting that process, that map, which I'll say is a map, but it's not linear, even though it sounds linear. <laughs> really important to say that. Yeah. Sounds linear, it's helpful for us to see it as linear. In our experience, uh, it, it may be more, uh, have more kind of subloops and things in it. So again, we do, we train in this through our practice to do this both in the moment, yeah? but we're also training that capacity over time to see more quickly, to get less caught up. Yeah? To believe it less, to invest in it less. Yeah. So, you know, for example, the for me voices can be yapping there. <laughs> yeah? And we don't um, believe them as wholeheartedly and completely as we used to. And that can make an incredible difference. So all these practices that we've been doing, yeah, interrupt that chain, yeah, support the lessening of dukkha, and support the um, strengthening of well-being, the arising of well-being. With all of these practices, yeah, when, when there's a lessening of dukkha or when there's a kind of emergence or strengthening of well-being, so important to notice it yeah. and to give it our attention. Yeah. To give it our, atten our atten attention. Yeah. And this is also a skill we're developing because it's not what we're taught to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's not what we are um, 
biologically yeah, conditioned to do. We've talked about this. Yeah. To notice well-being and to sustain attention with it. So we've been talking about that with the negativity bias and the way the mind fixates yeah. onto, um, clamps onto the negative. So it's really helpful to learn to turn our attention to what is going well, what's okay. Um, really helpful to learn to sustain it there. Uh, and it's really helpful to linger, <laughs> yeah, the title of this retreat. To learn to linger with well-being, to linger in happiness. And I love that phrase. Yeah. Uh, the um, psychologist Rick Hansen, he calls it savoring. Yeah. Savoring, which is also a very beautiful word, beautiful concept. Yeah. And actually he's, his research and the research of others show that that's a really important part yeah, of what we do. So we we kind of learn to recognize and to notice the, the good, yeah, the pleasant, the well-being, the open heart, whatever it is, the metta. And then we also need to learn to stay with it because the habit of the mind is to move. Yeah, and especially to move away from yeah, whatever's good, nourishing, um, etc. So the capacity to stay with happiness, well-being, pleasantness is also something that we're developing uh, on this retreat. And it really enhances the impact of the experience, yeah. deepens the insight. Right. How's your energy levels? Mm -hmm. Okay, got lots of different ones. <laughs> nice. Right. So I'll just read a very short extract from Rick Hansen when he's talking about this um, savoring aspect. Um, and he says, a lot of the time, good experiences might be very mild. Yeah, and that's fine. What matters is, you know, as mild as, uh, or kind of non-dramatic as the um, positive experience is, what matters is that we train ourselves to sustain attention with it. Even just for 20 or 30 seconds makes a big difference. Yeah? Instead of getting distracted by something else. And of course we can also just come back to it, right? Just train ourselves to come back. Because the longer that something, research has shown, the longer that something is held in awareness, the deeper the impact goes. Yeah, actually makes an impact. And kind of it goes into our memory banks. Yeah, more deeply and in ways that are more, um, that we can kind of pick up on it more. And then he gives us some, medita some Dharma instructions, a Dharma teaching. You are not craving or clinging, <laughs> because that's what often comes up, yeah? the sense of, ah, if I kind of savor the, the pleasant, am I not actually craving and clinging? Am I not actually building dukkha? You're not craving or clinging to positive experience, because that would ultimately lead to tension and disappointment. Yeah? So notice what happens, the tension, the contraction, the sense of the limitation of the self. Yeah? Notice, we're learning to notice that. That's what we've been practicing today. Actually, you're doing the opposite. 
by taking them in, by taking in the positive, by taking in the nourishing, and filling yourself up with it, which is kind of how he um, encourages us to practice, you will increasingly feel less fragile or needy, and less dependent on external supplies. Yeah. Your happiness and your love and your metta will become more unconditional or will become less conditioned yeah, or conditional based on an inner fullness rather than on whether the, the facts in your life in that moment happen to be good ones or not. Yeah. So he's talking about this building up of inner resources. Yeah. Again, we've had examples of this um, in the Q&A, some came up today and in the groups, yeah, that we can actually then invite yeah, the positive into the moment, even when it's not present right now, we can bring in a memory. Yeah. We can bring in an image. Yeah. We can tune in to something that is maybe even subtly. Yeah. A subtle well-being to it. Yeah. So there's this kind of uh, reser- reservoir of um, resource that we're building. So really remembering this, we can step into this process of building dukkha. Uh, at any time, we can interrupt it, we can change it, yeah. we can relax the contraction. Yeah. And again, even for a moment, big difference. Uh, we can welcome experiences rather than get caught up in reactivity. Yeah just have a sense of that open hand that Nathan was talking about this morning. Yeah. Welcome to arise. Welcome to be. Welcome to go. Yeah. Sense of welcoming rather than you, yes, you know, you, a little bit less of you and can you just come in that direction and maybe change what you're wearing? Yeah. Less of that. Yeah. More open hand, more welcoming. And less reactivity and push-pull. And then that kind of savoring any well-being that arises in the practice, in the day, at any point. Notice it and savor it. As we're doing this, you know, we're kind of lessening the, um, the hold that dukkha has on us, on our experience, yeah. And so we're kind of cultivating ways of, of relating that also are kind of like a, you know, like fairy dust. <laughs> Just remember daughter of a friend of mine who used to have really issues with nightmares when she was little and a friend of her mum's gave her fairy dust, yeah, to sprinkle around her room to protect her from nightmares. So sweet, isn't it? So we can cultivate ways of relating that are like fairy dust. They actually become more and more natural to us, yeah, more and more accessible to us. Um, and we can then both kind of rely on them, bring them in. Yeah? And they also arise more naturally, yeah? more immediately in our experience. Um, and certainly um, metta is one of those in case you haven't realized, metta's fairy dust. Yeah. So, um, yeah, ways of relating that decrease the building of dukkha from the outset. Yeah, from the outset. And again, when we welcome, allow, tune into the pleasant, uh, 
Notice what's going well, yeah, what's gladdening, relaxed contraction. All of these stop, decrease the dukkha building. And so when there's meta, when metta's present, when we're meeting experience with friendliness, yeah, what does it do? Yeah. I probably said it already, I always say it. <laughs> I can't say it too much, yeah. It reduces contraction. Yeah, that attitude of friendliness in itself is that open <coughs> hand. Reduces the contraction, um, relaxes it, relaxes tension in the being. It reduces the clinging. Yeah, it's like an antidote to clinging and craving. Because if there's friendliness in the attitude, there's welcoming in the attitude. Yeah. And there's going to be less push and pull. There's going to be less this and not that. And it widens the possibilities of well-being and ease. Yeah through expanding our circle of care, yeah? through inclusivity. Yeah. I care about more, yeah? and therefore there's more well-being that's available uh, to me. So this is also interesting, just five more minutes. Can you do that? Yeah, you sure? You're not, just doing, you're not say, saying that just to make me happy? I'll be okay. So this is another study from um, another um, kind of well-being scientist called Sonia Libomirsky. Um, and she was doing some research on kindness. And um, they, they found that people that did acts of kindness for others, yeah, that's what they were encouraged to do, um, in this, in this um, research project, became happier in the immediacy, in the time when they were doing these acts of kindness, and then they stayed happier for several weeks after they had done those acts of kindness. Yeah. And that what they found, which was very interesting, was that if the acts of kindness were for others, the impact was stronger than if the acts of kindness were just for themselves. Yeah, very interesting. And, and kind of the, the conclusion that, um, that this group of scientists had from that was that there's something in the connection. Yeah? When you do an act of kindness for another, there's something in that connection to another that's really um, significant for our well-being. Something around the expansion, again, this expansion of the sense of self. It goes along with the map of the Buddha. Right? When the sense, when my circle of care is larger, the sense of self is more diffuse and more inclusive and wider, more sense of connection, more ha happiness and well-being, more resilience also. You know, they found a lot of other things. They stayed healthier and um, could deal with difficult life events um, in a more resilient way. So, you know, this is just kind of to, to kind of bring that in, you know, that there's the conditions that... Um, you know, that build dukkha, yeah? And when those conditions uh, are seen, yeah, are attended to, yeah? And we also see that the conditions or some of the conditions for our dukkha, for the opposite of dukkha, yeah? Which sometimes we'll talk about as metta, yeah? yeah. So that sense of expansiveness, that sense of less demand, yeah. 
that sense of care. Deep, deep source um, of well-being for ourselves and for others. So let's stop here for today and just have a a quiet moment together to bring this to a close. May our practice together support each and every one of us to see clearly and to relate skillfully to this human experience, to nourish and support the causes and the conditions that lead to metta, to well-being, to compassion and wisdom and to let go of that which leads to suffering for ourselves and others. May our practice be a nourishment for the welfare and for the benefit of all beings in all directions on this earth. So thank you for your listening and for sharing in the creation of this talk together. And thank you for your practice. I have some time for walking now and we meet back here for our last sitting of the day quarter to nine.